If you grab your Bible and turn with me to Exodus 20, we are coming to the conclusion, to the end of this teaching series entitled, Live the Ten. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments, seeing not only is this a list of God's top ten rules, but it has more to do with who the God of these Ten Commandments are than these actual rules themselves. Let's review in our mind together these Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, you shall not worship idols. The third commandment is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment, remember, is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your mother and father. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not lie. And then tonight, the tenth commandment is what? Anybody know? Exactly. Do not covet. In your uh, outline there, look as I read the New Living Translation's approach to this verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, their male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else your neighbor owns. As we conclude this Ten Commandments series, as I shared, it's been a fun journey together to walk through it. I've been teasing with the staff. Uh, I enjoy short sermon series, not short sermons, don't get excited. I enjoy short sermon series, and this has been an eternal series in my planning. I didn't realize all the special Sunday nights that we had, and it's been way longer than ten Sunday nights. But we've been learning together that this is more than a list of rules. They're simply signs posted helping us see the God behind these rules. We learn that being a Christian is not just about keeping these rules, but it's about loving God first in every area of our life. Because when we love God first, we're not going to do any of the other things that would break his commands or wound or hurt his heart. Tonight, our focus is on loving God with our stuff. The entire 17th verse of Exodus 20 is talking about loving God with our stuff. Now some may be thinking, you know what, I don't have a problem with coveting my neighbor's possessions. And when I read this verse, uh, I don't covet my neighbor's house. I don't necessarily like my neighbor's house, some may think. My neighbor doesn't have a wife, and so I, I don't covet their wife. I've not been big on ox or donkeys, and so that's not an issue for me. I don't really want to have more livestock, and, and it's not an issue to covet what they have. In fact, some would say, you know what, I could just go to the store and buy my own. I don't want to take theirs, and we're missing the whole point of what this commandment is driving at. In this day and age when this was written, they didn't have stores to run to. They didn't have malls to go to. They didn't have the type of things that we have that would drive a consumeristic approach for us. And so the way that this materialism would creep in was coveting somebody else's things. They didn't have billboards and magazines and television and internet screaming out at them all the new things that could possibly be owned or purchased. If you're taking notes, jot this down. This should be your first blank. This commandment is not primarily about my neighbor. It's about lusting after stuff and worshiping money. 
It's not just about your neighbor's stuff. It's not trying to say, leave your neighbor's stuff alone. It's more about lusting or or worshiping other things or worshiping money. I believe this is one of the most practical of the Ten Commandments for us here in America. As I talked about this morning about the challenge for us in the Church of Jesus Christ in Western culture and specifically in America to be generous, we have to get over the hurdle of our own blessings. We are one of the most affluent countries and one of the most affluent generations throughout history, and it's important for us to hear what God has for us through this command. It may surprise you because uh, very few people have I talked to feel rich. I've had very few people who just say, you know what, I'm loaded. I've met a few people that I wanted to think in my mind, man, you are loaded. But most people don't feel financially rich. Most of us feel like we just are getting by. We begin to see that money and stuff are profoundly spiritual for Americans because they are our gods with the lowercase g. I'm not saying this for you specifically. I'm not saying it for our community. But as a whole, our society, money is a spiritual thing because that's what we worship. That's what we live for. We say we are one nation under God, and we spell that God M-O-N-E-Y or S-T-U-F-F. We have been brainwashed by Madison Avenue's values more than God's values. The average American has been said to be exposed to over 3,000 marketing messages every single day. Billboards, radio, television, magazines, internet, all kinds of information flowing at us. All which are designed to create a desire to buy and to own more. For example, think about this. True or false, television is a form of entertainment. This is kind of a trick question. The answer is false. Television, primarily by nature, is a tool for marketing products. Entertainment is the hook to get you to watch whatever is being marketed. That's why advertisers pay billions of dollars for commercial time every year. The entire media industry is about consumerism. It's it's not primarily about entertainment. They will use that as a hook or a method, but the goal, the the money maker, the drive that it continues is that you would buy or purchase or buy into a thought that somebody is paying big money to put in front of you. You say, well, I'm not that gullible. I don't fall for their marketing ploys. I'm smarter than that. Well, if we think that, we need to realize that somebody is banking on the opposite, We may not be as gullible as some, but the fact that these messages get driven into our brain over and over, it is very hard to live in this culture without being imprinted by all the marketing that says, you deserve more. Have it your way, right away, right now. You see, these thousands of subliminal messages which are embedded into our subconscious have an effect on us. God is giving us this Tenth Commandment to protect our heart, to protect our mind. He has wired us together and knows that we will not get the most out of life unless we heed this rule. Do you realize that our children recognize 
product labels before they can even pronounce what product it is. Companies are spending billions of dollars trying to advertise to our children. One uh, stat report that I was reading this week said that there is over $130 billion of product purchasing that is driven by children telling their parents what to buy. This cereal, this food, this place for vacation, this toy, this brand of clothes. And marketers are smart and they do everything they can to embed it not only in our brain but in our children's brain. We are inundated with stimulation designed to create this insatiable desire for more and more and more. Think about it. The first time you see a gadget on TV, the first thought is, unbelievable. I cannot believe that exists. That is amazing. The second time we see that gadget, we think, man, I I really need that. The third or fourth time, I can't believe I'm living without it. We go from amazement to some kind of need for it to, I don't know if I can live without it. It's embedded in what has been perverted to be the American dream. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of stuff. That's why the Tenth Commandment is so important for us tonight not to miss. It flies in the face of our consumer culture. It requires that you and I would resist the madness of consumerism, and to love God with our stuff. Because, jot this down, unless I learn to love the true God first, the stuff of this consumer culture will consume me. If I don't learn to love God first, all this consumer culture will begin to eat you up. It will consume you. No one is exempt It's a pandemic, and we all are infected with this virus in our culture today. Unless we fight it, we'll be consumed by it. I want us to take a few moments to make some notes of some symptoms of this consumer madness disease, to see if this is maybe affecting us or has infected us. Here's the first one. Number one, discontent. I want you to look at the quote that I put in your notes there. There's this guy who has something to say to us about advertising. He is the first, or excuse me, the former marketing director for GM Research Labs. Listen to what Charles has to say to us. Advertising is the organized creation of dissatisfaction. That was interesting to me. Advertising is this organized, systematic creation of being dissatisfied. You know, I heard someone talking the other day about commercials for a mattress. You know, I really thought my bed was good until I watched a commercial that showed me that I don't sleep like somebody else who had a specific number that made their bed even better. And the next night, I was tempted to think, you know what, I'm probably not sleeping as good as I should. It's this advertising that creates this idea that, You really don't have what you need. You really don't have what you deserve. There's something better. If you would just look for it, you could find it. This is at the heart of any strong advertising campaign. We see in the book, Culture of Narcissism, it's quoted by saying, Advertising manufactures a product of its own. The consumer, perpetually unsatisfied, restless, 
anxious and bored. Advertising serves not so much to advertise products as to promote consumption as a way of life. That upholds this consumeristic idea. This idea that there's something that could fulfill me if I could just buy it. Someone asked John Rockefeller, the richest man in the world in his time, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He promptly replied, a little bit more. That's how much you need. In the face of this insatiable appetite for more and more, one of the wisest men in Scripture, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, gives us these words, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. So one is discontent. How do I know if I'm infected with this consumeristic drive to want more, to to covet more stuff? Two is fatigue. Unrest, unease marks the affluent society. We work so hard for the American dream to justify it. We say, it's not for me, it's for my kids, it's for my family. We work so hard to get more. And once we get more, we find that we've got to store more. And we've got to insure more. And we've got to protect more. And so we have to work harder. And it just begins to turn this rat race over and over and over and over. It's the cycle that it's hard to get off of. As someone astutely observed, even if you win the rat race... You're still a rat. You still have been caught in this trap over and over again. But if we listen to the wisdom in God's word, we can see the vanity that is laced in this perversion of the American dream. Listen to the message paraphrase of Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. Don't wear yourself out just trying to accumulate riches. Third, another symptom of this consumeristic heart is unmanageable debt. The devil often tries to use this tool. Credit often is used to, by the enemy to get us to try to live on More than what we can afford. Live on more than what we make. A paraphrase of Romans 13.8 speaks to this. Pay all of your debts except the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of the law. How else do we see this? Worry creeps in. There is great stress in trying to pursue success. If you think that it's stressful trying to get more money, it's even more stressful trying to keep that money. Robert Bushnell was one of the creators of the first modern day, not so modern anymore, video games. And he made his first chunk of money at age 30. He was a millionaire, multi-millionaire, and he was asked by one magazine, Mr. Bushnell, You have struck it rich. You have started a revolution in the video game industry. And at that time, they had no idea what was to follow. He was at the beginning of Atari and all that stuff. And they said, what have you learned? What is it like to have all this money? And he gave two responses. He said, one. He said, I am constantly trying to hang on to what it is I have gained. Two. 
He said, I am constantly trying to fight boredom. Now, I've thought about it. I could probably make it on half of what Mr. Bushnell had 20, 30, 40 years ago. And uh, you know what, Carrie and I have done some calculations. We wouldn't need $20 million. We could make it on a little bit less than that. And sometimes when we hear about people who have wealth and the, the stress of their wealth, sometimes we're tempted to think, well, why don't I try out their set of stressors for a while? I'm kind of tired of trying out my set of stressors. But it dawned on me that though I've not had great wealth like that, I haven't spent a day of my life bored. I always have something to invest myself in, to work towards, to pursue. And we begin to see that no matter what level of resource you've been given, there's a temptation to try to hang on to it. And a desire to hang on to it, that can corrupt us. Worry creeps in. One is observed If money and stuff are your life, and you lose your money and stuff, you lose your life. Ecclesiastes 5.12, the rich are always worrying and seldom get a good night's sleep. Another symptom of this sickness is, is continual conflict. James nails it on the head in James 4, 1 and 2, and he writes, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army? of evil desires that war within you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. Nowhere is this conflict over money more prevalent than in the American home. Did you know that one report gives that the number one statistic, number one reason listed for divorces in Christian homes, those who call themselves Christians and end up in divorce, the number one reason cited was financial problems. It's not because they didn't make so much money as those who gathered the statistics found out, is they were in the trap of trying to live on more than what they could afford. Well, pastor, you thoroughly depressed me. If that's the the sickness, if that's the illness, what's the cure? How do we live this Tenth Commandment? How do we not covet? How do we not allow this consumeristic pull to take us down? God's cure for consumer madness. Let's look at it together. One, we need to be alert to the lure of materialism. We have to wake up. We have to look for it. We need to be alert. The drift of our culture is toward materialism if you're swimming against it you can make it if you just try to float by you'll be swept away by the thoughts of consumerism around you so be alert continually evaluate your priorities what's important to you what is important to god listen to the warning from the apostle paul to young timothy in first timothy six ten: the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The best way to avoid avoid this infection is to stay in God's word, to stay in tune with his Holy Spirit, and let him offer these practical solutions. One may be, what if once a year you would allow yourself to go through your possessions and not find the rattiest thing or the grossest thing, but find one thing you really enjoy and set your heart on giving that away each year? It would do some good for us to not hang on to something so tightly and so long. You choose it just once a year. Go through your possessions. Find something that you love. 
I had a uh, pretty cool experience. I didn't get permission, so I won't share his name. Uh, I, I went to somebody's house um, in the last week and a half. They weren't feeling well, and I went to their house, and they wanted to show me their collection. And I won't tell you what it was. You may be able to guess who this person is, and that's not my point. They showed me this lifelong collection, and I was excited to get to know them and hear about their collection. And they said, you know what? If you like any of this, take it with you. And I kind of was jarred by that. And I thought, I can't take from this person's lifelong collection. I mean, I, I'm just wanting to get to know this guy. And he said, no, no, I think, I think your family would really like this. And, and, and I, I didn't want to offend him. And I said, well, well, why don't you pick out something you think that maybe they would enjoy and you go ahead and give that to us. And he got excited and my arms were too full and I couldn't carry enough of it out. And he said, I'm not going to be on this earth too much longer, but I would love for you to enjoy what it is I have. That stuck in my heart this week and I was thinking towards where we were going. One way to get rid of this sickness or to prevent this illness from taking hold in our heart. What if you made a pattern like my, my new friend who would say, I want to take something I value so much and make it a pattern in my life to find somebody to give it away to. Second, we need to be content with what we have. Now the Bible gives us a good equation for this in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6, and at another time I'll preach another message on this. But just touching on it, the Bible's equation is godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. But in the Church of America, we've mixed that up, and we've said godliness plus great gain makes me content. But it's not at all what Scripture teaches. Godliness plus contentment, that's where we have great gain. We think that the path to great gain is when we have more stuff, but God says it's when you're content with what I have given to you. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, a familiar passage to us is paraphrased this way. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. As you ask yourself the question, do I enjoy the success of happiness of others or do I wish that I had it from them? If I am content with what I have, when you are blessed financially, when you are blessed relationally, when you are blessed occupationally, I could be thrilled for you because I am content with what God has given me and I am more blessed, I am in, in riches because of what God's doing for you and all of a sudden the inverse, the converse of what is happening when I am uh, coveting is happening when I am taking great joy in what it is you have been blessed with. Being content with what I have can lead to that. Third, be committed to his priorities. Not just your priorities or my priorities or somebody's priorities who's been handed down to you, but be committed to God's priorities. The key is not to try to suppress your desire for something. I love the fact that God created us in His image. He has given us mind. He's given us will. 
He's given us emotion. He's even given us desires. And Satan is so not creative, he can't come up with anything on his own. And so all he can do is take what God has given to us and pervert it. Andy Stanley has a great way of sharing this. He says that the enemy takes God's truth and just twists it a little bit. And when it's twisted, it's twisted. And God has given us the heart to have healthy desires. And so the goal is not to say, well, I should never, ever want a gadget. I should never, ever want to buy anything. If I was a holy Christian like Pastor Brady's talking about, I'd never, ever want to own anything. Not at all. God is calling us to make sure that we can own whatever possessions we have, but not let them own us. Not let them drive our existence by what it is that we can accumulate. When I am mastering over that object, I can freely give it away. I can freely invest it. When I let it take ownership of me and my thoughts and my desires, the Tenth Commandment is coming into play and is being broken. When I'm committed to his priorities, it helps. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 6:33. He puts it this way. He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Fourth and final thought, be generous with God and with others. And that's what we talked about this morning. Jesus reminds us in Luke 6:38, whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. As we talked about this morning, the size of the window which you give through is often the size of the window in which you are blessed or you receive through. And this is not prosperity theology. This is not saying give God ten bucks and he'll give you a thousand. Get rich quick off of God. This is not true. It sounds exciting, but it's just not biblical. And it's also not on the other side, like we talked about in poverty theology. Well, if I'm really going to be holy, then I'm just going to be dirt poor because Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. I should be homeless too. That is not at all the message we find in Scripture. The message we find is to be generous. To whom much is given, much is required to give. The size of the window we give through and sacrifice through is the size which God can bless us through. Listen to one author as he gives us a challenging thought in closing on this topic today. The Bible says that the more we receive, the more we are to give. Giving is the cure for the disease of materialism because it's just the opposite of materialism. The root of materialism is the word get, get, get. Get. The opposite of getting is giving. So every time I give to somebody else a friend, a tithe, an offering, a, a gift of compassion, I am breaking the grip of materialism in my life. It's saying I can get along without this just fine. It's a spiritual victory every time that we are generous. It's my desire for us tonight not just to come to an end of this teaching series. But for us to say, God, we have spent some good time pursuing you and your word. What is it that you want to teach me about you, God, through your top ten? We can begin to see that God wants, needs, 
and has created us to put him in the number one slot. One has been quoted saying, if we get the first commandment right, the rest of them are all secondary. There should be no other gods before me. That takes care of worshiping idols. That takes care of taking the Lord's name in vain. It takes care of his Sabbath day and misusing it. It takes care of honoring our mother and father. If I'm not going to have any other gods before me, I can begin to see what he has said about my parents, my authority, and I can honor them. I can begin to see that he values life, and so therefore I should value life, and murder should not be on the table for me. I can begin to see that God values relationships and the marriage covenant, and adultery is breaking of his plan, and I wouldn't want to break his heart or break the plan that he has created for us. Stealing is this desire to take what is not mine, and and God has created me to follow him, and so I don't want to do that. And lying is bearing false witness, and I don't need to create or fabricate truth because God is the God of truth. In consumeristic coveting, I don't have to try to stockpile stuff to make me secure. Jesus is enough for me. Each and every one of these tell us about God, and I want us, as we pray tonight, to ask God to remind us again about who he is. Remind us that these Ten Commandments are not just a set of rules to be lived out. We need to live them out. But that's only half of it. We need to live our life for the God of these Ten Commandments. It's amazing when you look at our world around us. People who follow these Ten Commandments, even if they don't trust in God, it's amazing to see the good things that happen in their life. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not free from your sin that condemns you to hell. But God's principles are true all the time for every single person. And the flip is true as well. When our culture begins to pull away these principles of the Ten Commandments, that used to be woven deep into our fabric of just general society, we begin to see that things crumble around us. It's time for us as the believers to not only live the ten, but love the God of the ten and make sure in our circle of influence we encourage others to meet this God who has given us so graciously these signs that are posted to point us to him and practical living. Let's pray together. Abba Daddy, we come into your family room tonight and we crawl up close to you and thank you for the words you have given to us through Moses and the Ten Commandments. Lord, as we read them in Scripture in context, we see that people heard your word and then they dismissed it and all kinds of trials and tribulation came because they didn't follow your commandments. Lord, I pray that you would prick our heart tonight to help us to have the conviction that we need to be living out these ten, not because it's your get out of hell test, but because it's your live life to the fullest prerequisite. Thank you for loving us so much that you want to give us guidelines to not wreck our life in the ditch on the left and the right. Lord, as we think specifically of this 
tenth commandment. Lord, I pray as we talked this morning that you will create an even deeper spirit of generosity in us. To displace the messages of consumeristic materialism that is pounded into our brain day in and day out in our culture. Thank you, Father, for how much you love us. That you have given us clear direction. Give us the boldness and the courage to live your ten. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. May God bless you. Whatever you do, don't take this as knowledge or information, but begin to apply it in your life and allow this information plus the application that you put forward to bring transformation in your heart. May God bless you. You're dismissed.